0: Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. From the Milton Metz studio in the Radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of The Herald Times, along with co-host Joe Wren of WFIU and WTIU. And today it's uh, the first week of the new year and the Indiana General Assembly is back in session in Indianapolis. And on today's show, we're going to look ahead to what this legislative session may have in store for us. And we have three guests, two are in the studio, one's joining us by phone in the studio. We have Republican State Representative Jeff Ellington, who's from here in Monroe County. And we have Indiana Public Media State House reporter Brandon Smith. Also joining us by phone is Democratic State Senator Tim Lannan. He's from the Anderson, Muncie area, and he is the Senate Minority Leader. If you want to join our program, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington area. You can also send us questions at news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So thanks for being here. It's another legislative session. We'll have to see uh, what's going to happen this year. It's a long session, so it's a, it's a budget year for the uh, Indiana General Assembly. And I want to turn to Representative uh, Jeff Ellington first. You're in the majority, as the Republicans have been for quite some time. What are the priorities this year for your party and, and for you personally? Uh, I think for the party and for myself
1: is, one, uh, state budget time uh, to make sure that we have a budget that is honestly fairly budgeted um, so we do not go in uh, to any reserves in the future. Uh, I think that is key. Uh, number two, that to, to even have a good budget uh, will be, for me, will be workforce development. You know, Crane is in my district, IU, and uh, parts of Purdue now come into uh um, My district, through uh, uh, Westgate Facility, they've got a contract down there to try to get some initiatives. So that'll be uh, one of my main focuses, I would say, is child development. Uh, You know, we have the issues with uh, Department of Child Services right now that the governor is looking into and uh, trying to work through budget-wise. And that will be a challenge not only for the House but for the Senate and for the governor to try to see how much money we could uh, put towards that uh, problem that we all have. I mean, it's, a, it's not a short problem that just arrived. It's uh, systemically been that way for 20 years plus. Um, and we need to make some policy changes that will stabilize that and procedures that uh, kids get either removed or helped from homes or put into homes. And I get phone calls all the time about that from parents or grandparents. So I think that'll be one of our focuses. Second, I mean, excuse me, third will probably be uh, teacher salaries. Uh, you know, it's, there's a misnomer that, you know, it's all uh, up to the legislatures to set teacher salaries. Uh, that's not the case. You know, that's a local board decision. And every time we do a bill that will help free up uh, some restrictions for school boards or administrators. For example, if you have a uh, position that's not been filled for many years, and uh, you have a hard time to fill that because maybe competition on the outside district or another state, uh, we've passed a bill that would give that administrator the uh, th- the authority to go up to that top salary cap if it's warranted. You know, the teachers unions didn't did not want that. They didn't want the legislature to set salaries or be in control of salaries. So. Uh, it's our job to give dollars. It's the local uh, school district's job uh, and, the, and the unions who represent those teachers are non-unions to do those negotiations and make those priority changes. And we just got to make sure it's there. For me in that budget, uh, mental health I think is a top priority for me to try to move uh, some positions into each local school district that will give kids uh, help early on so those problems do not increase and compound over time. I think there's a way we can do some of those things, having little uh, offices, maybe in school districts that maybe uh, would qualify for uh, Medicaid to help uh, with those uh, services. So uh, there's a few bills that's coming through. A couple I'm going to co-sponsor. Uh, it's a lot to do uh, in such short time. But, you know, we do it every two years. Mm-hmm. Right. Every two mm-hmm. years we talk about this. Right. And mm-hmm. it's just You know, we have to stay focused, stay focused. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. Uh, Senator Landon, same question for you from the Democratic standpoint. You know, how do your priorities uh, maybe differ from the Republicans? What, What are your top priorities? And for you personally?
2: Well, okay, well, thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to be on the show. I appreciate that. Uh, Well, you know, as as Representative Ellison uh, mentioned, it is a budget year, so obviously the budget sort of uh, hovers over everything that you're doing because, I mean, a budget is, after all, a statement on your priorities. And uh, so, you know, you do take a look at uh, how you're going to fund. uh, Jeff talked about the uh, teacher pay increase, and we recognize that Indiana lags behind uh, surrounding states and, and many other states in terms of teacher pay, so there seems to be a commitment to trying to provide the resources within uh, this budget somehow uh, to increase teacher pay generally in, in the state of Indiana. We want to reward our good teachers, keep them in the profession. It's important. So, how you do that, of course, is going to be a, a big issue, and uh, it will, you know, lead to a discussion over. Other priorities within the budget. Uh, you know, do do we continue to roll out some uh, tax breaks that were enacted a number of years ago? Uh, do you draw those back in? Do you have to have a 1.8 billion dollar uh, you know state surplus, or can you reduce that a little bit and free up the money for? Uh, the possibility of of some of these other priorities, like uh, the teacher's increase. But above and beyond all that, there are a lot of things that we can do which really don't call for money that I think, in our uh, opinion, will advance the state. Uh, Enacting meaningful bias hate crime legislation is one of those things that we absolutely should do. I think there's momentum towards doing that now. Take Indiana off the list of one of five states without that type of uh, legislation. Uh, our uh, caucus has advanced a couple of other ideas that we think are important. Redistricting reform for uh, the, you know, the upcoming uh, reapportionment that will occur in a couple of years. Uh, the, the, we had the two-year interim study, which was a bipartisan uh, recommendation for the creation of a, a independent uh, redistricting uh, commission. We have a bill. I have a bill to do that. There are some Senate Republicans that have a bill to do that. So, redistricting reform is something we think should be a, a priority uh, this year. Uh, we have a bill, uh, the Senate Democrats do, which would say that no matter what Washington, D.C. does out there in terms of health care, that in Indiana, health care uh, insurance coverage will include coverage for pre existing conditions. Other states have done this, and that's also on our list of uh, priorities. Uh, to be considered in this coming session Uh, so there's a lot of things Uh, DCS funding is of of course important I think the question there is you know we had the study that occurred that was commissioned through the governor's office this uh, child welfare group came out with their recommendations. so if we're going to increase the funding for DCS which we favor are we doing so in a fashion though that will carry out their recommendations which we think is important help you know in terms of the efficiency of the child welfare system
0: okay so Brandon Smith uh, the house reporter for Indiana Public Media you've you've heard uh, Jeff Ellington and Tim Lannan talk about the Democrats and the Republicans where where do you where do you see this session going
3: uh, they've hit on most of the big stuff and and you heard a lot of the same sort of issues between both of them and that's not super unusual for Indiana um, uh, I mean, th- they'll pass hundreds of bills this year, especially in a long session, and the vast majority, the vast, vast majority will have strong, if not almost unanimous bipartisan support. Um, so to sort of differentiate from what we see out at the federal level. But um, where I think – so these big issues, you know, teacher pay, education funding, the budget in general and the priorities within that, DCS, uh, funding and policy changes that Representative Ellington talked about too, um, all of that is – is is. Pretty much all four caucuses agree those are the big issues of the session. Uh, hate crimes is on a lot of people's lists too in a bipartisan way. The, uh, Governor Holcomb has made that a priority and it's on his agenda as well. Um, the trick to all of that is then the details of how all that gets worked out. So with DCS funding for instance, DCS gave a number $286 million a year in this next budget. And then we got to look at a revenue forecast that, while positive, gets eaten up pretty quickly by DCS and Medicaid. And so Republican leaders said, well, let's see if that 286 can't come down a little bit. That will be an ongoing uh, source of discussion between all of the parties at the House as they try to craft a budget, including – and I'm including the governor's office there. Um, Then you have things like hate crimes. A lot of support um, in both caucuses for that sort of measure, but what is what exactly does it look like? The governor and other folks have one idea um, Speaker Bosma and maybe some members of the House Republican caucus have another idea, and so we'll see how all of that ends up but so a lot the big the big ideas have agreement mm-hmm. it's the nitty gritty that doesn't yet have agreement but four months is both a lot of time and not a lot of time at all uh, so we'll see what happens. Alright, Joe? So I, I guess maybe what would be
4: considered more of the hotly debated would be the hate crimes legislation and I thought we'd we'd kind of get going with that, uh, Representative Ellington and maybe get your take and, and maybe more of the nitty gritty of what Brandon was just saying. Can you give us a little bit of uh, background on your take on this bill and what you'd like to see happen with it? Well I'd
1: like to see something in front of me Mm-hmm. Um, we can always talk about uh, how we can do a bill, and what we can put in there. Is it going to be uh, digestible by the House or the Senate or the governor uh, and all the other uh, forces behind for or against? Uh, for me personally, um, I want to treat everybody equally. And when the uh, the incident happened at the uh, was it synagogue here, Mm -hmm. This this last -hmm. last summer, Mm -hmm. um, my immediate reaction was, you know, it's time, Uh, at least uh, for part of it for religious freedoms. When you start, you know, stepping on someone's individual rights, you know, by our state constitution, our federal constitution. Uh, But then I saw a good quote from Eric Cook uh, that talked about Indiana, even though we don't have, per se, hate crime legislation spelled out. As a bill, you know our judicial system set up already, and Senator will know about more about this. That gives judges and prosecutors leeway to take those types of uh, incidents into consideration. So they have enhanced penalties already at a state level. Uh, so if you step back and look, I, I think a lot of this is probably just politics. I, you know, one side wants something, one side doesn't, and um, I think if you treat everybody equally, that's the bottom line. And if a bill comes in front of me where everybody's treated equally on these crimes, I'll uh, I'll look at it and I will vote for it.
0: Just to mention, Jeff uh, mentioned Eric Cook. He's a state senator <clears throat> and he is an attorney.
4: Too, yes, so. yes. And Senator Landon, lo- would love for you to jump in to yeah. uh, what are the chances you think of hate crimes legislation moving forward.
2: Well, I think they're very good. I mean, I, I th- believe that... Uh, the Speaker has uh, voiced uh, his belief. We need to do something. Um, I perceive there to be more support in the Indiana Senate, uh, even on the other side of the aisle, than I've seen in the past for this. So I think there's a general feeling we need to do something, enact it. You know, I, I have heard some people say, oh, yeah, we need to just, you know, check that box that we've done that. You've got, you know, I think some folks even saying economic development-wise, it hurts the state to remain one of five states without this legislation. But you know, I would hope it would be more than that. I hope it would be meaningful legislation. And and I know there's this sort of uh, uh, thought that some people say we don't need this legislation. There's already you know authority for a judge to take into consideration the motivation of the of the crime. Yeah, we do have a state statute which sets out specific aggravating factors that a judge should consider or may consider in giving a person a uh, stiffer uh, sentence, and uh, it includes a myriad of things. It does not include uh, bias crimes uh, per se that the person was motivated against, uh, you know, a person based upon uh, race, uh, et cetera. And so um, I think it's a policy statement. I really don't think it's politics. I think it's a policy statement that in Indiana we are we are clearly saying to a judge, you may consider this in deciding what is the appropriate sanction that should be given for any given uh, given crime. Now, to really get down the weeds in this, there's two approaches to a biased crime. One is to To specifically list it as an aggravating factor that the judge may consider at the time of sentencing, Uh, or the second approach, which I think is the approach that Senator Taylor of my caucus would prefer, is to actually say there's a separate crime, an enhanced crime, which is of a more serious degree, uh, called a uh, bias crime, where a person commits what would otherwise be an underlying crime, like a battery, but does so with uh, motivated by intent to harm a person because of their race, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity. Of course, that gets to be another hot-button issue is do, what, what do you include as the categories. So there will be plenty of debate on this, but overall I want to say that I think there's momentum towards us enacting what I hope is meaningful you know, hate crime legislation in the state of Indiana.
0: We give our phone numbers, uh, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight 285 9348 outside of the Bloomington area. News at org and at Noon Edition if you want to contact us uh, and don't want to go on the air. Brandon, this hate crimes uh, legislation... You know the governor has been pretty forceful about saying he wants something, and he, you know, he he doesn't want Indiana. He wants Indiana to be one of the forty-six, not one of the one of the five. So, you know, what from your perspective, I mean, how how big of a, you know bully pulpit does the governor have to get what he wants?
3: A significant one. This is going to be a real test for Eric Holcomb because so far the things he's pushed for in the legislature uh, in a significant way have been. Uh, I don't want to say easy, but they've been the things that most people would support. Um, uh, workforce development uh, chief among them, uh, things like that. This is the first time that he's really waded into an issue that I would argue is controversial. Um, there are there are folks on both sides of the who feel very very passionate about this issue, and there are folks, particularly in, in the governor's party, who really don't want a bias crimes bill of any kind. Um, and and he's going to have to expend a significant amount of political capital to get a to get a, a bias crimes bill through the legislature um, because it hasn't happened up till now. Uh, it hasn't even really been talked about in the House in public in any sort of hearing uh, before now. So this is going to be a real test for Eric Holcomb to see w- just how influential he can be in the legislature when he really wants something.
0: We have a phone call that's about this same issue. So let's go to Sarah on the line. Uh, Sarah? Sarah, go ahead.
5: Okay, hi, this is Sarah, and I just had a thing about the hate crime, the mm-hmm. enhanced penalties associated mm-hmm. with hate crimes. And one is, it basically, it may have a chilling effect. It may prevent people from vandalizing or make them think, like, hey, this carries, you know, felonies. There's a lot of talk about making it like a felony of a sort. And that may have a preventative effect, make some people think before they do stuff like that. But it may have an unintentional effect that say someone's in their you know a young kid or even in their 20s and they're dabbling say in the skinhead subculture and they get in the racist end of it and they commit an act and at the time they go to trial they're still believed you know what they are so of course they're not going to repent or anything and so they get a felony and you know that may have served as an example to other people who might consider that but also that individual may instead of re-examining his actions may further harden him the same way that throwing people in prison tends to harden them. Now they see themselves as an outlaw, they don't have any rights and uh, it may actually drive them into further extremism.
3: Okay, well, uh, Brandon wants to respond. So so specifically, uh, I want to talk about the way that the bill that has been most talked about over the last few years would work. Um, Senator Landon kind of touched on that. There's sort of two versions. He talked about two versions of a hate crimes law. There's really three. There's the one that everybody's been debating for a few years now, which is the aggravator, which is the way it works is you've already been convicted of a crime, and the judge considers a range of factors when deciding what your sentence should be, what are called aggravators to make your penalty a little higher within the range that the judge can consider and then mitigators that might make it a little lower, character, all sorts of things. And there is a catch-all that Representative Ellington mentioned that theoretically you could use bias crimes in. Other people say that's not specific enough. Judges need more direction than that, hence the need for a bias crimes law. That's the bill that has had any sort of progress principally in the state Senate over the last few years. There's the, the kind of bill that Senator Landon talked about which would create an entirely new crime for bias crimes. While Democrats, some Democrats support that, that has no support among Republicans. No, I, I've talked to no one who likes the idea of a brand-new crime. There's a third type that would create an enhanced penalty. So say you commit a, a, a level 6 felony, but a ju- but you are proven that the prosecutors can prove and a jury convicts that you you were motivated to commit that crime in part because of bias. That could then be moved up to a level 5. So it doesn't just give you more time in the existing range, it would actually move you to a higher crime. That has gotten some debate, but again, the bill that we're really talking about, the bill that will be the most debated this session, is that first one, the aggravator. So it takes the range of the existing crime and just says, this might mean you get the upper end of that range as opposed to the lower end of that range. So in the the kind of circumstances that Sarah was just talking about, it would not create a new crime. It would not move you up to a higher crime level. If you are convicted of a level six felony, all that bill would mean, all that bias crimes bill would mean is that you might get a little more time as opposed to a little less.
2: Yeah. Brandon, the only other thing I'd like to add is that uh, a point that needs to be made or sometimes it, I think it's confused here is the belief that a person could be convicted of a bias crime without having committed what is the underlying crime. In other words, you still have to have committed, you have have to have taken an act, which in and of itself is a crime, uh, such as committing a battery, uh, vandalizing property, something along those lines. It's not a hate crime just because one states their opinion in public as to their beliefs or their feelings about certain people. And I think it's been sort of, you know, the opponents, I think, of of hate or biased crime sometimes want to... Confuse the uh, public to believe. Well, you're going to be punished just because you believe these things. No, it's because you took and committed. You took an action, which is a is a criminal action, but you were motivated by the bias that that uh, uh, exists in that person's mind. And I know that's that's uh, you know intent is always a tough thing to prove, but that's part of the of the equation too. Is that prosecutors are going to be required to prove that there was motivation involved.
3: In these days, the, the example I like to use the most when talking about this, to make it so that people, I think, hopefully can understand a little bit how this works. Say I go outside and on the side of a bank, I spray paint Donald Duck. That is misdemeanor vandalism. Let's say I go to a synagogue in Carmel, Indiana, for instance, and spray paint some swastikas. Under current law, I have arguably committed the exact same crime. What a hate crimes bill would do is say, no, specifically the judge, when considering that sentence, says, this is not run-of-the-mill, being-a-stupid-kid vandalism. This is you directed hate, not towards a single person or a building, but a group of people. And that's what supporters of hate crimes laws often talk about. It's the idea that you're not just committing an action against one person. You're really committing an action against a group of people because you're saying, I hate you because of this characteristic. And you're not and so that's doing that with essentially the intent to put fear into everyone who is a member of that group with those characteristics. And that's why they feel like the State of Indiana needs to make a policy statement that that's more serious um, and, and and enact a hate crimes law to say that. Sarah, thank
5: uh, you. Yeah.
0: yeah, thank you very oh, much for that okay. question. We'll
5: have a chance to ask any more sure. questions. Sure. Well, if you ask, you wh-
0: time. One, one, quick one, yeah, one. Okay. Quick one.
5: Uh, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, I understand there's a definite difference in intent. You know, one is definitely a hateful act, and it has an intimidating value. But but, but I guess what it is is that by associating a a felony to that particular act versus the Donald Duck graffiti, um, that once you put a felony in the equation, it may have the unintended effect of taking that individual and they say, hey, I can't vote now. I've got this felony. It's hard to get employment. And it may push them into further illegal activity because in their mind, their life is ruined already. Whereas you maybe enhance it by maybe not felony, it's like, okay, we're going to charge you more seriously because this is a hate crime but not making an automatic felony where, so that kid has maybe a higher grade of misdemeanor, maybe, you know, more, some kind of more harsher punitive, but it doesn't tag him. So he may still have a chance to have a life and work, you know, have a year-time employment and all that and be able to vote. And maybe that will open a way that he's still considered a, a productive citizen, and maybe it may open a way where he can kind of, has a chance to re examine his life. A lot of people come out of hate groups. It's a long process. It takes years, you know. But sometimes I think the felony just automatically is hosting a felony yeah, that I can kind of shut doors. So let, I'll, let, I'll, I'll let you go. Thank it, you.
3: Thank thanks a lot. I think Brandon uh, you can explain that. Yeah, I'll can. just emphasize. Yeah. The bill that is being most seriously debated at the legislature has absolutely nothing to do with making certain things a felony. If the underlying crime is already a felony, then it gets added on to the sentence. If the underlying crime is already a misdemeanor, it will stay a misdemeanor. That's how the bill works. Okay, we are going to take a short break. You're
0: listening to Noon Edition as we talk about the Indiana General Assembly this year. We'll be right back.
6: Milton Met Studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, online at smithville.com. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org.
0: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Joe Wren from WFIU and WTIU. We are having a discussion about the Indiana General Assembly this year with... Uh, Republican State Representative Jeff Ellington of Monroe County, Democratic State Senator Tim Lannan of the Muncie and Anderson area. He's also the Senate Minority Leader In Indiana Public Media State House Reporter Brandon Smith. If you want to join us, give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 if you're outside of the Bloomington area, and that would include Muncie or Anderson. And you can also join us uh at news at indianapublicmedia.org or at Noon Edition if you want to follow us on Twitter. A couple of the bigger issues uh, that uh, you've all mentioned, again, uh, DCS funding. So uh, if you could, um, Brandon, if you
3: could just sort of, in a nutshell, what's the DCS issue? What? And I know these things are not nutshell. Sure. <laughs> no, so, so let's, I actually, I do want to split it out into a couple things, uh, because both Senator Landon and Representative Ellington kind of hit on this. But let me start with the funding issue, which is... Um, over the last year or so, uh, in, the, in the budget we're currently working under the budget that was passed in 2017, uh, Indiana uh, DCS got a huge influx of new money, Yeah, um, almost $300 million more than they were budgeted for, to deal with um, an explosion in the number of kids in the system. Um, Some of that was, and and Representative Ellington touched on this particularly, he talked about systemic problems at the agency that have gone back decades. And that's absolutely true. And they're always trying to tinker with what is the right formula for this. But the particular explosion that led to the huge influx of one-time money was also in large part due to the opioid crisis, the drug epidemic that we're all suffering under, not just here in Indiana, but across the country. Uh, that's led to a lot more kids in the system. And so so DCS was just dealing with way more than they thought they were going to, and so they got a bunch of money in the short term to deal with that. What they're coming to now in the new budget is saying, we need the same amount of money we've been spending for about a year now, which is a $286 million a year increase over what they got in the last budget. It's being referred to in a lot of ways as a true up to to just meet – the one-time money that they've been spending. Uh, That, again, everybody agrees that they should get what they want. Um, Exactly what the final ask will be is probably going to be negotiated here over the next few weeks and months. Um, But generally speaking, I think there's broad agreement among just about everybody that whatever DCS ends up asking for is probably what they're going to get. There's the separate issue of, and, and Representative Ellington talked about this, policy, and Senator Landon talked about, if we're giving them the money, are they using it in a way that will meet the recommendations from that independent agency or group that that audited the agency? Things like that. That's a that's separate legislation. That's changing some of the definitions in state code, and all of that was worked out through a summer study committee on this, uh, with DCS leaders, foster care agencies, and parents, and 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 all of the, and all of the stakeholders here. Again. There's pretty much broad agreement there. There's some minor details about like how long you have to investigate and how soon you have to start an investigation, things like that that will be tweaked over the next uh, few weeks, few months. But um, that's the second part of this is, okay, here's all the money. Now, what are you doing to make sure you, in two years or a year, won't need another huge increase because the formula isn't right? So... I want to ask Senator Landon first, and then Representative Ellington. So, what
0: what are you know what would your priorities be when it comes to DCS? I mean, is there one or two factors in there that you think are are really the most important things that need to happen?
2: There, there were a couple things that I think that you know I've, I took out of the report that was uh, given to the General Assembly that I think are really important. There are things that we've talked about in the past, which is the rate of turnover of DCS caseworkers and also prioritizing uh, dollars to make sure they go into the field so that caseworkers are not overburdened with the number of cases that they have. And that also includes dollars being there for uh, supervisors, enough supervisors uh, who can be watching. Because I think what we always have to keep in mind here is that the ultimate goal is protection of children. And so if you over uh, load uh, case uh, workers, if you overload the supervisors, if you don't have enough attorneys which are hired uh, to help streamline and move cases through the system. We're also finding that these you know, these cases get caught up in the system, and they just clog the judicial system up, uh, too, because we don't have, uh, quite frankly, uh, we don't have the number and the quality of attorneys to move them along in the system. So I think we really have to take a look at uh, – there's two things I think we have to look at. One is the system itself, and are we really directing dollars to uh, make sure that children are being protected, but, but that caseworkers are able to devote the time that's needed to provide those services to children and families. Uh the other thing which uh, I think we need to take a look at, and, and Brandon talked about, about this, is a lot of this is driven by the opioid situation. Now that's outside the system. That gets to how are we treating people who have opioid problems and the need for you know a mental health infrastructure that addresses that. So that's a completely different you know uh, can of worms there that we're getting into, but it's important because that is directly led to a lot of the overload in the system.
0: Representative
1: Ellicott? Um I, th- I think uh, dollars is key, but before we make a commitment to that, we need to have a better plan um, with a fine-tooth comb on their policies and um, the steps they go through to either remove a, a family member from a parent, grandparent, or even great-grandparents, and what is that based upon. I hear that there's small things that kind of add up, you know, like the straw that just kind of led to that break uh, as from a range of maybe not having the proper care for your kids, uh, like maybe a baby crib or just uh, items that that family needs. And then the next time the caseworker comes there, you know, boom, that just puts them over the line and they pull the kids out. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of nonprofits that uh, in that area that that help. So if we can kind of make a connection with child services there, that there's an option maybe before we reach that breaking point to reach out to a nonprofit that's willing to help to give that family some additional, whether it be items or counseling you know <clears> to <throat> a maybe a, a therapist who can donate some time back to the community, which is all a savings to all of us and and keeping the kids uh, best interest at heart I, mm-hmm. I, that for me is I think policy is key.
3: And there are, two ways, there are two ways to address that, too, uh, specifically, and some of it is going to be through legislation. As an example, one of the big changes that's being discussed that I, I assume will happen because everybody seems to agree to it is up till now in state law, um, poverty can be considered a major factor for removing a child from the home. And the recommendation from the independent group and everybody, again, after that kind of agreed, that should not be a sole factor. Um, so they're going to take that out of the law. That'll be a legislative change. But then there is also administrative policy. And so the agency has talked about that removal of children shouldn't be sort of the first instinct. Yeah. Um, that that they need to to be more thoughtful about trying to keep families together for as long as possible while making sure the kids are still safe. Mm-hmm.
2: If, if I can just add to what sure. Brandon just touched upon there, I, I used I was involved in the system many many years ago uh, as an attorney and. Uh, we utilized at that time uh, what we, we would call informal adjustments. We didn't think every case had to go in front of a judge to be re- remedied. We thought there were ways that you know the caseworkers uh, could work outside that formal process because sometimes it was a matter of education as opposed to uh, you, you know just uh, bad actors. And so I think that's uh, there's some wisdom to reverting back to. The, the opportunity to try to, to keep these keep families intact to the extent that you can and provide services without having to have a full-blown removal of children or a full-blown involvement in the judicial system as well.
4: Well, we have lots to get to in about 15 minutes left. Let's go to the phones. We have <laughs> Dan, who is uh, standing by. Dan, you're on noon edition. Go ahead.
7: Uh, hi there. Thanks for having me. I've got a question um, regarding how we arrive at what we're going to do. Uh, A poll in October by Ball State showed that 80% of the people in Indiana wanted some form of cannabis legalization, uh, whether medicinal or recreational, but 80% favored the idea. Then, in that same poll, 30% favored expanding gambling. According to the Herald Times yesterday, um, in a syndicate article, gambling is going to be expanded and cannabis is not likely to be approved. I don't understand the legislature expanding something known to destroy families like gambling uh, while taking a hike on something fairly benign and innocuous like marijuana. Um, I'd just kind of like to hear where we're at
0: on that. All
1: right. Jeff? I've seen people talk about, uh, especially cannabis, and I would have never thought the person sitting next to me would have been in favor or against. And so it's bringing, uh, uh, I guess, their personal beliefs out openly more than you've ever seen before. Uh, For me, you know, I sat on the stone belts, uh, back then in stone belt, uh, no, Center for Behavioral Health, uh, now it's Centerstone's board years ago, and dealt with... uh, And my mother-in-law was uh, the uh, supervisor for the Amethyst House, you know, for addictions for 20 plus years. Uh, So I've got a lot of family contacts with things like that. Um, And addictions is is really uh, a leading cause to a lot of things with DCS. and things in our our economy, as far as getting, you know, qualified workers that can show up on time and and pass a drug test or have a license. Um, and for me, I think that cannabis issue is really going to say to me. Uh, and and I'm relying on the people I know that are more experienced in that, um, in bringing drugs to market, making sure they're safe. Uh, when we are going out and actively arresting and prosecuting doctors right now for over-prescribing opiates because that physician thinks that that individual needs this for pain medication, and our medical system on reimbursements is based upon the level of pain surveys they've started 10-plus years ago, and it's if you don't take care of your patients and their level of pain is higher than the average, you don't get that high reimbursement. So doctors for years relied on that reimbursement money coming back based upon those pain levels. And um, I think if you do cannabis without solid foundation studies on going through the Food and Drug Administration and, and seeing what kind of studies they've done like they do on new drugs that come out for opiates or whatever, um, I think I think you need to treat them all equal uh, because I think it could be a problem. Uh, Senator?
7: Well, uh,
2: actually, uh, reasonable med- medical marijuana reform is one of the priorities of our caucus. Senator Italian and our caucus has had uh, bills for a number of years to uh, allow the state of Indiana to look at the issue of medical marijuana. You know, thirty—I believe it's thirty—some other states have some form of medical, or I'm sorry, some some form of marijuana reform laws. Uh, personally, I favor us looking at the issue of medical marijuana, and I, I do so because. And as a possible alternative to opioid uh, addiction, and if there is some safe, medical, uh, you know, accepted way to to uh, interdict uh, you know, medical marijuana versus opioids, I, I, and if it helps people who are suffering from chronic pain, suffering from you know cancer or other debilitating, uh, painful conditions, I, I don't a problem with us at least looking at that. I think we should move forward with it. As the gentleman who asked the question indicated, there seems to be a lot of public support for this. I'm not in favor of just wide open recreational marijuana uh, at this time, but medical, true medic- medicinal use of marijuana, I think, is something we should seriously consider in the state.
0: I want to ask, I guess, Senator and Brandon, I, Senator Tallian also has a bill that would legalize, like under two. Sure what two ounces of marijuana or something yeah right
3: for recreational use. Yeah, Senator Italian has been long a leader on on marijuana reform in the in the entire General Assembly, um, and only very recently has she started to get a lot of support uh, from other people, including Republicans, including uh, Representative Ellington's um, colleague, uh, Representative Lucas down in Seymour, uh, particularly leading on the issue for medical marijuana. Um, to the caller's point, I'll, I'll just say this: when you point to poll results, I agree that I saw the same numbers. I've actually reported on those numbers. The question that those polls often don't Ask is how much do you care about this? It's easy to say in, when you're asked a simple question. Do you think marijuana should be legal in some form? Yes. Yeah. The question then becomes: Are you going to the polls? For instance, are you voting yeah. for people f- based but, uh, on their opinion on that um, uh, on that issue? And. At this point, not a lot of Hoosiers are. Uh, I'll say that I'm not going to speak for Representative Ellington or Senator Landon, but in some, a lot of the, the the lawmakers that I hear speak and that I talk to, a lot of how they make their decisions is based in part on what they hear directly from their constituents. So what I say to people who care about any issue for or against is... Let your local representative official know because they listen when they start getting a lot of calls or emails or letters about a topic. it will make them pay attention to that topic it will make it might change their mind on how they think they should vote on a topic um, they 're not generally going to pay attention necessarily to. A public poll as their guiding star for how they're going to vote, Cinderland. I want to
0: make sure that you know it's 12:48 and a half, oh, and yeah. you, you have a, you have something to do in a minute and a half. If you have a last you know last minute uh, item that you want to talk about, and how's the time?
2: Well, um, I I did uh, mention in the beginning of my uh, comments about another priority being redistricting reform. And actually, Brandon, I think, made a point there, too, which is if you feel strongly about these issues, be sure to contact uh, your representatives. Because, while almost everyone will say, you know, uh, I hate the gerrymandering that goes on. I think it's wrong. Uh, will you actually cast a vote based upon who is in favor of redistricting form is another issue. I'm hearing more and more from people that do believe we need to restore the, you know, integrity into the system and confidence into the electoral system by having fair uh redistricting processes. So. The other issue here that uh, I, I want to talk about, or that, the reason I want to talk about that issue, is time's running on this. We're going to actually be doing the redistricting uh, in 2021, and here we are at 2019. So to really enact uh, the measures that we need for redistricting reform, this would be the I- ideal year to do that. I hope that we see bills moving forward. There there are bipartisan bills on this issue of an actual redistricting commission. I would encourage, I hope the General Assembly moves forward with the uh, redistricting uh, reform this
4: year all right thanks for joining thank us today thank you so Senator. much i right. appreciate it we appreciate Bye-bye. it representative uh, allington you want to respond really quick to his well it's uh you
1: when you're out of power you tend to try to change things and to me this is really a political issue there might be some response from republican legislators and senators about this issue but the bottom line is out of the last few elections, there's only four, maybe five counties at the most that lean Democrat and went for Democrat uh, candidates. And if you take that population, divide it down uh, based upon the appropriation of 65,000 plus for a uh, legislator in the House, and I'm not sure how that equals in the Senate, uh, but the Democrats have more representatives and more state uh, senators based upon their numbers now than they do on those four counties, so it's it's you know when you follow rivers and you follow clerk set boundaries that's done by your local clerk on your precincts. Uh, people tend to say, "Well, there's wiggly lines through there." You've went in and got, the, well, you know that's rivers, that's county borders, that's precinct maps made by your local clerks. Uh, it's hard to, and keeping in mind Indiana's uh, maps have not been challenged. There they've came a long way from uh, those slender congressional districts, you know, back then was it the fourth that went from way up north all the way down south and here on the west side. Uh, you know, they've tried to keep communities compact with local representatives more closely. And it's not fair that uh, in order to divide and give super majorities to either side that you dissect those districts. Where it takes you know it takes me an hour and fifteen minutes to go to my from side to side, and if you tried to change those around in the years past like the Democrats did, you know my district would probably been two hours, and that's not fair for my constituents who want close contact with a representative or a senator. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, Brandon, where do you think redistricting will will, will head? Nowhere. No
3: it it's, it's, it's i i just don't see it happening <laughs> it, it, the the senate the senate republican caucus has been staunchly opposed to this uh for a long time and a redistricting reform bill has passed the uh the indiana house um it was co-authored by the speaker of the house Brian Bosma but in the last few years there's been no point to passing it again because the senate wasn't going to take it up um i don't see that changing
1: yeah. Real quick, one point. It's talking about teachers before you leave because we're out of time. Mm-hmm. So Indiana, based on the nation right now, is ninth in the nation on the teacher's salary being the average. That's across the state. So we're ninth in the nation. So it's up to the administrators and the school board to make those decisions on their wages. And if they would just take in our recommendation of shifting 3% of their budget into their salaried employee positions, That would have equaled a 10% increase in teacher salaries done at an administrative level and a local level, and that would put us at number five in the nation. Right now we're number nine.
3: So here's, the, here's the trick that some school administrators will will say, though. Um, for example, in, in this budget, and then we talked a little bit about how this budget might be kind of tight because so much money is being eaten up by things you have to pay for, DCS, Medicaid, et cetera. Um, let's say that the education funding increase is in the 1% to 2% level, uh, which is kind of right now what we expect. So school districts will get 1% to 2% more on average at... It varies depending on where you are and your population all that. But they'll get one to 2% more than they got in the last budget. That's inflationary increase. So the rising cost of healthcare, the rising cost of the utilities, all those things that you have to pay for to keep the lights on uh, for everybody. Well, there's the increase. So how are they going to increase teacher salaries now, Representative Langston did talk about that the General Assembly has been pushing for um, cuts to administrative costs for years. They've been also pushing for consolidation, which most schools just will not do for a myriad of reasons, Uh, some maybe more legitimate than others. Um, Without more of a stick, um, they've been giving a lot of incentives to do those sorts of things, but without more of a stick instead of just the carrot, I, I don't see that changing that much. So, if the General Assembly really does want to specifically increase teacher salaries, they might have to do a little more pushing to, again, as Representative Ellington has said, because those decisions are made at the local level, they might have to push them a little further. It might have to be something like, "When they here's the big bulk of education funding, but here's the pot that we think you should use for teacher salaries, and so that it's even more clear at the local level. If those teacher salaries don't go up, then, well, here was the money, and you chose to do something else with it.
1: Right. Uh, It would be nice if we could get the teachers' unions and those that are involved with non-union members to agree to give the legislature a little more leeway when we give money to point it towards salaries and infrastructure for personnel, because people are our top asset. And a couple
3: of quick things. Oh, go ahead. And, well, I just and, and and I know that Speaker Bosman has talked about how they've been working uh, with the teachers unions, particularly over the over the last few months, to try and find that solution that will work. And I think we might be hearing about the details of that possibly next week. Okay. Two very quick things. Uh, we've got about two minutes to go. So,
0: uh, Dan mentioned gambling as an expansion of gambling, and I, I think it was in October that a bipartisan. Study Committee recommended the General Assembly look at legalized sports betting Mm -hmm. in Indiana. Is that what
3: he was referring to? Uh, Presumably. uh, There are a few gaming changes that might happen. The big one that I think will happen, the nitty-gritty of which has to be worked out, is sports wagering. It will almost certainly be legal. How it will be legal is the question. There's also some talk about moving one of the two gaming licenses up in the region, uh, northwest Indiana, moving one of those licenses somewhere else, that would be a really big shift in the industry, and that's a much more, I don't know how that's going to work out. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, on So your colleague from Monroe County, Senator Stoops, Mark yes. Stoops, has uh, filed a couple of bills that have to do with gun control in Indiana. They're, one of them has to do with um, having only licensed dealers selling guns, and background checks and the other one has to do i think with um i can't remember what the other one has to do with but any chance that there'll be anything like that get through in the indiana I,
1: you know i haven't seen his his wording but i would say uh, any change that uh, makes uh, gun ownership more restrictive for normal individuals who don't have problems or criminal backgrounds mm-hmm. be tough mm-hmm. uh, i would say If it's focused on those who already have criminal background history or uh, maybe some sort of uh, mental uh, record, Mm -hmm. um, that could have, you know, some motivation. But uh, beyond that, I think, you know.
0: And last one, um, the possibility, I think it's the uh, Indiana State Chamber of Commerce that really wants to see the cigarette taxes raised and also see and the, age. the age raised yeah. to 21, any chance yeah. about that? I don't know. The, the Most of
1: us will probably think that, hey, if you're 18, you can serve in the military, you should be able to smoke. Now, keeping in mind that, you know, that cost us all in premiums, you know, for services that they will will receive in the future, addictions and things and emphysema and cancer and um, I, I would say if, if you can do it in a way... Uh, I think it's possible, but, I mean, it's going to be just more than that. They'll have to make some changes or some give and take in some areas maybe it's already been passed in the future, you know, in the past, and reach back and maybe change some of those laws and then change the smoking age with another incentive.
3: And on the cigarette tax um a better chance this year because, again, the tight budget situation. Okay, yeah. We are out of time. I want to thank uh, Brandon Smith
0: from Indiana Public Media and also Republican State Representative Jeff Ellington and, and State Senator Tim Lannon who left us about 10 minutes ago. For Joe Wren, my co-host, producer Pat Mer- Patrick McGurr, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.
6: is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV,
0: home security and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.